Support for NPR comes from ADP. Say you're in HR and a solar flare adds an extra hour to each day. How would this impact business? ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to help your business take on the next anything. ADP, always designing for people. A warning, this episode contains discussion of animal cruelty. The Marvel Cinematic Universe has kept busy in the six years since Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. But now we've finally got a new Guardians movie, and it's packed with explosions, banter, and sentimentality. In Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, our heroes must embark on a dangerous mission to save the life of Rocket Raccoon. I'm Glenn Weldon. And I'm Stephen Thompson. Today we are talking about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. Joining us today is NPR TV critic Eric Deggins. Hey, Eric. Hey, how's it going? And also with us is iHeartRadio producer and host Joelle Monique. Welcome back, Joelle. Hi. Thanks for having me back, Stephen. It is great to have you both. So early in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, the team is settling in at their new headquarters, but when they're attacked by the mysterious villain Adam Warlock, played by Will Poulter, Rocket Raccoon sustains injuries that leave him fighting for life. Soon the team has to head off in search of a cure, a mission that leads them to an evil scientist called the High Evolutionary, who is played with Shakespearean intensity by Chikuti Iwuji. As battles are fought and banter is bantered, we're filled in on Rocket's backstory in which we learn that he's part of a cruel genetic experiment. Rocket is voiced by Bradley Cooper in the present day and Sean Gunn in flashbacks. The Guardians team is larger than ever. Peter Quill, played by Chris Pratt, pines for Gamora, played by Zoe Saldana. Karen Gillan returns as Gamora's sister Nebula. Dave Bautista returns as Drax. Palm Clementiaf returns as Mantis. And Vin Diesel returns to say, I am Groot. But there's also a large supporting cast of side characters, critters and critters who double as side characters, such as Cosmo the Space Dog, who's voiced by Maria Bakulva. Cosmo also appeared in last year's Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, just in case you were worried that there wasn't enough lore to keep track of. As with the other films in the series, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 was written and directed by James Gunn. We should note that Gunn was fired by Disney and Marvel in 2018 after a series of offensive tweets resurfaced from roughly a decade earlier. Eight months later, he was rehired, but in the interim, Gunn had signed on to write and direct The Suicide Squad and a spin-off series for Warner Brothers, thus delaying this film. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is now finally in theaters. Joelle, Monique, I'm going to start with you. What did you think of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3? Ooh-wee, Steven. It's a solid U-turn for Marvel. It has been difficult if you're a Marvel fan uh, these past years. I'll say years. Years. And start to finish, I had a lot of fun watching this movie. I thought a lot of the very subtle, deep, dive easter eggs you have to really look for and watch all of the guardians movies over and over again to find pay off in this movie so if you're a casual marvel viewer might go right over your head might miss a lot of things uh if you're a deep fanatic like i am man that third act it hits really hard i loved this i had a really good time great how about you eric you know, for me, I, I felt a little less enthusiastic about the movie, especially the beginning of it. What I loved was the core of it is the origin story of Rocket and how he came to be the sort of character that we all know and love in the first two movies. And that, to me, is the special beating heart of this movie. 
What I found with James Gunn, who has a very specific and almost gonzo, you know, style, I compare him to Taika Waititi and what he did with the Thor movies, where that is a tone that's hard to sustain over a movie, and it's also a tone that's hard to surprise people with in subsequent movies. So what you get is more and more and more, and at a point, more becomes too much. (laughs) And I just sort of felt like the beginning of the movie was giving me so much gun that I really wanted him to back off a little bit and let the movie breathe a little bit. And it felt like Rocket's story kind of did that in a way and injected a lot of pathos and humanity that the movie really needed. All right. How about you, Glenn? Uh, You know, Stephen, the MCU is a big place. It's a varied place. Critics like us like to dump on these movies and say they're all the same. But that is uh, provably false. The strength of the MCU, especially compared to the DC Extended Universe, is how many different flavors it offers up to you in terms of like things like uh, tone and and scope and stakes and subject matter. You want a political thriller? Here's one. You want a sitcom satire? Here's one. YA coming of age? Here it is. Yet there is one group that hasn't had its needs met by the MCU yet. So I'm here. I'm talking... To that very small subset of listeners right now, if you are one of those people who has ever walked out of a Marvel film and thought to yourself, you know, I liked it, it was fine, it was good, I really think it could have used, you know, just a lot more vivisection than good news, you sick freak, here it is. Uh, Let me be perfectly clear. It is not the mere depiction of animal abuse that's the issue here. I mean, Gunn argues that, as Eric pointed out, there's a plot reason for it. They planted the seeds in earlier movies His backstory needs to be dramatized. The thing is, it does not need to be melodramatized (laughs) in the way that it is here. There is a giant fatal flaw in this movie for me, which is not the depiction of animal abuse, but Gunn's approach to it. He does not trust that his audience possesses even a baseline humanity, enough empathy to, (laughs) to register the fact that animal abuse, you know what, it's bad. And the people who engage in it, they're bad. And then he juxtaposes those scenes of abuse with these incredibly twee sequences of Rocket and his little fuzzy cyborg pals with their big, wet Disney eyes saying things like, <laughs> what color is the sky? And it is so nakedly and ineptly executed as to be laughable. Eric, you said pathos. He reached for pathos. He overshot pathos and ended up in bathos, which is laughably bad. Certain subjects come hardwired with an intrinsic emotional power. We humans react to them instinctively. The more Gunn kept trying to ratchet up the emotionalism here, the more I shut down, the more angry I got. Here's a guy who thinks that the best way for us to listen and absorb what he's trying to tell us is by screaming it in our ears. That is not how writing works. I like Nathan Fillion. Nathan (laughs) Fillion was fun. He's always fun. Before I give my opinion, I'd like to hear a rebuttal. Well, I mean, all I would say in the face of that is that this is a Marvel action movie. And I think expecting it to be that subtle is expecting a lot. These movies are all about beating you over the head with their messages. That's what they do. What bothered me towards the end There are these creatures that serve the high evolutionary that he's also created, and our beloved guardians slaughter them without a thought, really, and without much remorse expected of the audience for these creatures that, as far as we know, are likely forced to serve this guy and do his bidding. And the lack of differentiation between these creatures that are forced to do what the high evolutionary wants, then the creatures that are considered the good guys, uh, the ones that are that are under lock and key, that bothered me in the same way that watching John Wick kill 30 people 
with no uh, remorse just because they're assassins also bothers me. Yeah, well, real quick, Eric. I mean, that's another example of what I'm talking about because, you know, they're mercenaries. They have a different attitude toward the taking of lives than heroes like the Avengers do. I have made my peace with that because that ship has sailed. That's me being an out-of-touch geezer, the fuddiest of duddies. I mean, when you hear one of our heroes say to another hero, kill them all, yeah, I got my twitch. And the reason I didn't like that is not because I'm not used to it. That's what the Guardians do. It's because the film goes out of its way to show us that not everyone is on board with this guy. But all it does is to double down on how bad the bad guy is, and that's just lazy and manipulative in a way that I don't think all these movies are, Eric. I think this is a particularly egregious uh, example of it. That's another thing that I fault the movie for is the best Marvel movies give their villain a great argument. Exactly. And this one didn't. Oh, I disagree. I think if you're going to show somebody with a god complex, and we know that this is what James Gunn is interested in, I think he's done a really good job throughout this trilogy of Guardians of the Galaxy of being like, what does it mean to meet gods or your heroes? I mean, it's a story of fathers and sons. I thought it worked really well. And I love a Shakespearean villain, like the over the top, like let off the pages of a comic book. Like, yes, he's over the top. Yes, he's like rattling and shaking, doing horrible things to Rocket. And to your point, Glenn, I think there could have been more finesse in that portrayal, right? But on the other hand, when you're dealing with baby animals and it's literally a Disney property, I don't know how else they're supposed to sound or look. They're baby animals who are being tortured. It's the whole, like, crux. And what I really enjoyed about this story for Rocket is we've seen Rocket be a hard-grizzled, thieving, non-trusting person for two full movies. And here we get to understand why. But overall, I really like this villain. And I thought the backstory worked for me. I know it's a lot. It's a lot. If you have problems seeing animals hurt, this could be a difficult movie for you. I thought it worked. Well, and I want to second the shout out to Chikuti Uwuchi. Phenomenal. (laughs) I think for me with this film, this is full sequel bloat summer movie Marvel property. This is two and a half hours of explosions on top of explosions on top of fights on top of battles on top of ships crashing into other ships and all that. What usually counterbalances that in these films is humor. And for me, the fuel mixture of action to sentimentality to humor is all off. I would have taken about 75% of the sentimentality yeah. <laughs> budget and put it into the humor mm-hmm. budget. Speaking my language. Um, I'm much more easily manipulated than Glenn. So I didn't have as much of a problem with the mawkishness. I just felt like, man, you've spent two movies setting up the relationships between all these characters, establishing who these people are, and you're not using that familiarity to give me new jokes. There's banter. There are jokes. But for me, I wanted so many more laughs. And they could have cut $50 million worth of CGI out of this film and replaced it with really good jokes. I would have been more on board with this film. Hey, Stephen, I want to ask you a question that may sound like sacrilege to Guardians of the Galaxy fans. Mm -hmm. Don't you think there were too many needle drops in this movie? (laughs) The music felt intrusive to me in a way that it really hasn't in the in the other two movies. I think one element that makes the needle drops in this movie very distracting, partly they are mixed very, very high, Yeah, but they also, they're stepping you kind of forward in time. And whereas in the first Guardians movie, you had all these kind of soft rock, yacht rock songs going, now they're like full 
alt-rock. You have a lot of Beastie Boys. You have Space Hog. You have The Flaming Lips. The The. The The. You have Radiohead. It was definitely a movie where I thought, man, have I missed my calling as a music supervisor? Because I could have just (laughs) gone through my CD collection and programmed this movie very neatly. As a fan of a lot of that music, I appreciated it, but I did find it very intrusive. Yeah. The music is all played diegetically, which means it's coming from a source in every single moment. And there are maybe like four or five needle drops in the first act. You're hyper aware of the music. Yeah. I mean, the the whole theory of the movies, uh, the Guardians movies, is that they're they're a mixtape, right? So that's the organizing principle. Uh, And I will say it softened me a bit on the movie. I was sitting there with my arms crossed, stewing. (laughs) <laughs> and then the the came on and was like, okay, damn it. <laughs> you have a little ledger with all these like little pro and like hash marks for pro and con and you grudgingly yep. hit a pro check. Mm-hmm. Okay. Here's my sacrilege to Guardians of the Galaxy super fans question. Joelle, I think I know your answer to this question. So I'm, I'm going to start with you. But like, are you still able to follow these movies at all? Yes, but only through a lot of intense study, (laughs) which is not a point in its favor, right? I understand that there's a lot of people are going to be like, oh, okay. But there are so subtle, never mentioned, only shown actions from characters throughout the series that when you get to the third act, they make these very pointed changes. And I have mixed feelings about that. And I think it's something we're going to have to continue to talk about as more comic book movies come out because... I love an Easter egg. My favorite part about reading a comic is going back and looking for little details in the panels that I missed through the first read. And I think, should a film be watchable in and of itself in one sitting where you can walk away and understand and have had the emotional journey the director intended? Or, is the case with a lot of comic book movies, do you need to be the kind of person who's re-watching them constantly and picking them apart and going on subreddits and is that an active part of being a movie viewer it works for me but i know it doesn't work for everyone and i don't know if it's a sustainable business model yeah Yeah. i think that's a really good point and i wanted to kind of touch on the fact like if you were just a guardians of the galaxy fan and you didn't care about the larger marvel cinematic universe and i don't think there are that many people who fall into this description but if you watched these three movies back to back to back they were your only reference points for these characters, you would be very confused. Mm -hmm. Because between Volume 2 and Volume 3, Gamora dies in Avengers Infinity War and is brought back, like, kind of in an earlier form of her without her memories of Peter Quill in Avengers Endgame. And now she's dropped into this movie. You would be completely baffled as to why all of a sudden is Gamora there without her memories right and like cosmo the space dog (laughs) like gets a really brief appearance before this movie but mostly you know cosmo the space dog because of the holiday special that dropped on disney plus this movie kind of expects you to have watched the holiday special for some of the backstory for a lot of the backstory how did they get to this new home Uh, I'm, i'm gonna disagree there a little bit Part of the vibe of these movies is that things happen and you kind of accept that things happen. Like, I'm a fan of the original Adam Warlock books. And one of the things about those books is it was just this explosion of stuff going on in this crazy galaxy that every time you turned around, a new character, something crazy. So 
I think the movies are kind of tapping into that a bit and just asking the audience to say, if you don't quite understand what's going on, just accept that these characters exist and this is where they are and this is what the story is. And I think if you're somebody who hasn't kept up with these movies and you're watching this movie, you got to be in that headspace or the movie's going to be uh, maddening to, to watch. I will say, though, I came into this also having seen the, the Guardians Holiday Special, and that's back when it hit me that maybe we've squeezed all the blood from this space turnip we can. So <laughs> I came into this movie thinking, well, it's time for a send-off. Yeah. Let the record show that Joelle squinched up her face. I really like the Holiday Special. <laughs> I frequently sing the Christmas Time is Here song. I love a rock Christmas song. But I also think that if you walk into a movie and walk out, you should be able to understand fully what you've just seen without having to suspend your disbelief so much. I think we do a bit of a disservice if we say like, oh, well, that's just how this genre is. You know what I mean? Like, I have a high bar for these. And I hope that whatever's been going on gets resolved. It's specifically when we're talking about the over-reliance on special effects. And I really do feel like we've moved away from the specific genre categories everything is starting to feel homogenous as opposed to these individual voices that were shaping a universe before. And I think that's a loss for viewers. And there's one more thing I want to bring up that as a huge fan of the Adam Warlock character from the comics, uh, I thought that character was really underutilized in this movie. Yeah. Great look. Shoehorned in. Yeah. Yeah. I was interested in that character's arc, but God help me, wanted to see more of him, which means I'm sure I will. Yeah, you will. <laughs> All right, well, we want to know what you think about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PCHH. Up next, what is making us happy this week? This message comes from NPR sponsor Squarespace. Kickstart or update written content on any website, product description, or email with Squarespace AI generating instant, personalized results that know and show your brand identity. Explain what your site is about, choose your tone, and enter what you need to get short or long-form text. No matter the placement, Squarespace AI makes it easier to go live, stand out, and succeed online. Use code HAPPYHOUR to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Third Love. Third Love makes solutions for every bra problem. Give yourself more lift, smoothing, and get straps that stay put. Every style's wear-tested on real women, made from premium materials, with a virtual fitting room to help you find your perfect fit. Comfort and support are guaranteed. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. I'm Jesse Thorne. Why did Cola Scola write a bonkers, extremely fictionalized play about Mary Todd Lincoln? Well, you know, it was 2020 and we were all so isolated. I, I just started doing research, uh, but the truth is, I, no, I just thought of it. We'll talk about that and more on Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Now it's time for our favorite segment of This Week and Every Week, What's Making Us Happy This Week. Joelle Monique, what is making you happy this week? It might be a bit of a shameless plug, but it really is genuinely thrilling and exciting for me. I'm coordinating my first live show. For one of my podcasts. Oh, nice. Cool. The show's called Fake Doctors, Real Friends with Zach Braff and Donald Faison. So they're real life besties. You may know them from the show Scrubs. Uh, they've been doing a podcast since the pandemic. We started, I think, May of 2020. And we just recap Scrubs. So when we do the live show in Seattle, we're going to recap the musical episode of Scrubs, one of the like most popular amongst fans. We're 
fingers crossed, going to get to watch it with a live audience. So we'll react with them and then we'll do like a full recap of it. So it's going to be fun. There may be some surprise guests and, and I hope people come out and it's a great show and maybe we get to do some more. What's the venue and what's the date? The More, June 10th. Wonderful. Thank you, Joelle Monique. Eric Deggins, what's making you happy this week? Bupkis. This comedy on Peacock starring Pete Davidson playing himself. It's like a Gen Z version of Curb Your Enthusiasm set in Staten Island. (laughs) And Pete Davidson is playing Pete Davidson living in the basement of his mother's home like he did. And on the surface, it's really knuckleheaded comedy. But when you watch a, a few of the episodes, it also tries to tackle... Like, he himself is kind of astonished at this life that he's living, and he's trying to figure out uh, why he's lonely, why he's angry, and why his life doesn't fit together, and why the public seems to hate on him so much. Joe Pesci is wonderful as his grandfather. Edie Falco is wonderful as his mother. Bobby Cannavale and uh, Brad Garrett play his relatives. They're really great, too. I was surprised by how much I like this show, and it debuts on Peacock. That's Bupkis. Thank you, Eric Deggins. Glenn Weldon, what's making you happy this week? Unicorn colon Warriors Eternal is a new animated series from Gendy Tartakovsky, who did Dexter's Laboratory and Samurai Jack and Primal. This show is about three immortal spirits who, whenever an ancient evil returns, inhabit and transform the bodies of some normal people to fight against it. Uh, This time out, the evil arises in a kind of uh, alt-universe steampunk London, and something goes wrong. And this time, the three warrior spirits, which are a sorceress, a monk, and a knight, end up inhabiting the bodies of kids and teenagers for some reason. And as a result, they are wait for it, not in control of their powers, yada, yada, yada. Metaphor, Mm -hmm. adolescence, metaphor, blah. But uh, the show (laughs) parcels out the relationships between the characters, and you get some interesting twists and connections as the show progresses. If you know Tartakovsky's work, you know that this guy designs worlds you just want to live in. Uh, This time out, he's riffing on old-school animation, classic Disney, Max Fleischer. There's some Betty Boop, some Felix the Cat, a little Asterix in there. Uh, Episodes premiere on Cartoon Network's Adult Swim block, but will end up streaming on HBO Max the next day. That is Unicorn colon Warriors Eternal. Do not confuse with Warrior Unicorn Princess or with Unicorn Wars. This is <laughs> Unicorn colon Warriors Eternal on Adult Swim and HBO Max. Well, thank you, Glenn Weldon. What is making me happy this week? Speaking, uh, Joel, of shameless plugs, I have spent the last several weeks listening to every song ever released by Weird Al Yankovic uh, so (laughs) that I could put together a 5,600-word omnibus ranking of the 40 greatest Weird Al Yankovic songs for NPR Music's website. The news peg that we're hanging this on is the 40th anniversary of the release of Weird Al Yankovic's self-titled debut album. If you've got, I don't know, what did it take? About 12 hours to listen to every single song he's released? He has 14 (laughs) studio albums plus an album of rarities that's on a box set and a few other kind of stray singles here and there. It is really interesting to go back and listen to everything he has ever released in chronological order and hear the way that he has evolved as a satirist, as a songwriter, as a performer, how his band has evolved into this incredible Swiss army knife that can reproduce any sound. It is a really fascinating kind of bit of cultural archaeology, and you will get such a snapshot of popular music for the last 40 years. Please justify the time that I spent researching and writing it, but I'm so happy with it. That is uh, the 40 greatest songs of Weird Al Yankovic. 
on the NPR website. Steven, doing the Lord's work. I've been checking this out immediately. <laughs> anyway, that is what is making me happy this week. If you want links for what we recommended, plus more recommendations, sign up for our newsletter at npr.org slash newsletter. That brings us to the end of our show. Joelle Monique, Eric Deggins, Glenn Weldon, thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Steven. Thank you. Thank you. This episode was produced by Ramel Wood and edited by Mike Katzif. Our supervising producer is Jessica Reedy, and Hello Come In provides our theme music. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Stephen Thompson, and we will see you all next week. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Delta Airlines. When you think about it, half the trips the world takes are trips home. Home. What we all eventually long to get back to, no matter what took us away to begin with. Those at Delta know that. Because all 100,000 of them are, above all, travelers just like you. It's why they try to make you feel at home long before you even get there. This message comes from NPR sponsor, the American Cancer Society. Every 15 seconds, someone is diagnosed with cancer. By the end of this message, you could do something about it with your donation. Donate today at cancer.org. These days, news comes at you fast. But the truth? Getting there takes time. There's something that hasn't been disclosed yet. Embedded is a podcast that takes the time to look beyond the headlines. How how did this happen? How did we get here? With original documentary storytelling. Listen to NPR's Embedded wherever you get your podcasts.